Chapter thirty four of the Daffodil Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Daffodil Mystery by Edgar Wallace. Chapter thirty four The Arrest. Tarling stooped down and released the cords which bound Milburgh to the couch. The stout man was white and shaking and had to be lifted into a sitting position. He sat there on the edge of the bed, his face in his hands, for five minutes, and the two men watched him curiously. Tarling had made a careful examination of the cuts on his chest, and was relieved to discover that Ling Chu, he did not doubt that the Chinaman was responsible for Milberg's plight, had not yet employed that terrible torture which had so often brought Chinese criminals to the verge of madness. Whiteside picked up the clothes which Ling Chu had so systematically stripped from the man's body, and placed them on the bed by Milberg's side. Then Tarling beckoned the other into the outer room. "'What does it all mean?' asked Whiteside. "'It means,' said Tarling grimly, "'that my friend Ling Chu has been trying to discover the murderer of Thornton Lyne by methods peculiarly Chinese. Happily he was interrupted, probably as a result of Milberg telling him that Miss Odette Ryder had been spirited away. He looked back to the drooping figure by the side of the bed. "'He's a little bigger than I,' he said, "'but I think some of my clothes will fit him.' He made a hasty search of his wardrobe and came back with an armful of clothes. "'Come, Milberg,' he said, "'rouse yourself and dress.' The man looked up, his lower lip trembling pathetically. "'I rather think these clothes, though they may be a bad fit, will suit you a little better than your clerical garb,' said Tarling sardonically. Without a word, Milberg took the clothes in his arms, and they left him to dress.' They heard his heavy footfall, and presently the door opened, and he came weakly into the sitting-room and dropped into a chair. "'Do you feel well enough to go out now?' asked Whiteside. "'Go out,' said Milberg, looking up in alarm. "'Where am I to go?' "'To Cannon Row Police Station,' said the practical Whiteside. "'I have a warrant for your arrest, Milberg, on a charge of willful murder, arson, forgery, and embezzlement.' "'Willful murder?' Milberg's voice was high and squeaky, and his shaking hands went to his mouth. "'You cannot charge me with willful murder. "'No, no, no, I swear to you I am innocent.' "'Where did you see Thornton Lyne last?' asked Tarling, "'and the man made a great effort to compose himself. "'I saw him last alive in his office,' he began. "'When did you see Thornton Lyne last?' said Tarling. "'Alive or dead?' "'Milberg did not reply. "'Presently Whiteside dropped his hand on the man's shoulder "'and looked across at Tarling. "'Come along,' he said briskly. It is my duty as a police officer to warn you that anything you say now will be taken down and used as evidence against you at your trial. "'Wait, wait,' said Milberg. His voice was husky and thick. He looked round. "'Can I have a glass of water?' he begged, licking his dry lips. Tarling brought the refreshment, which the man drank eagerly. The water seemed to revive something of his old, arrogant spirit, for he got up from his chair, jerked at the collar of his ill-fitting coat, it was an old shooting-coat of Tarling's, and smiled for the first time. "'I think, gentlemen,' he said, with something of his old airiness, "'you will have a difficulty in proving that I am concerned in the murder of Thornton Lyne. You will have as great a difficulty in proving that I had anything to do with the burning down of Solomon's office. I presume that constitutes the arson charge. And most difficult of all will be your attempt to prove that I was concerned in robbing the firm of Thornton Lyne.' The lady who robbed that firm has already made a confession, as you, Mr. Tarling, are well aware. 
He smiled at the other, but Tarling met his eye. "'I know of no confession,' he said steadily. Mr. Milburgh inclined his head with a smirk. Though he still bore the physical evidence of the bad time through which he had been, he had recovered something of his old confidence. "'The confession was burnt,' he said, "'and burnt by you, Mr. Tarling. And now I think your bluff has gone on long enough.' "'My bluff?' said Tarling, in his turn astonished. "'What do you mean by bluff?' "'I am referring to the warrant which you suggest has been issued for my arrest,' said Milburgh. "'That's no bluff.' It was Whiteside who spoke, and he produced from his pocket a folded sheet of paper, which he opened and displayed under the eyes of the man. "'And in case of accidents,' said Whiteside, and deftly slipped a pair of handcuffs upon the man's wrists. It may have been Milburgh's overweening faith in his own genius. It may have been, and probably was, a consciousness that he had covered his trail too well to be detected. One or another of these causes had kept him up, but now he collapsed. To Tarling it was amazement that the man had maintained this show of bravado to the last, though in his heart he knew that the Crown had a very poor case against Milburgh if the charge of embezzlement and arson were proceeded with. It was on the murder alone which a conviction could be secured, and this Milburgh evidently realized, for he made no attempt in the remarkable statement which followed to do more than hint that he had been guilty of robbing the firm. He sat huddled up in his chair, his manacled hands clasped on the table before him, and then, with a jerk, sat upright. "'If you'll take off these things, gentlemen,' he said, jangling the connecting chain of the handcuffs, "'I will tell you something which may set your mind at rest on the question of Thornton Lyon's death.' Whiteside looked at his superior questioningly, and Tarling nodded. A few seconds later the handcuffs had been removed, and Mr. Milburgh was soothing his chafed wrists. The psychologist who attempted to analyze the condition of mind in which Tarling found himself would be faced with a difficult task. He had come to the flat beside himself with anxiety at the disappearance of Odette Ryder. He had intended dashing into his rooms and out again, though what he intended doing thereafter he had no idea. The knowledge that Ling Chu was on the track of the kidnapper had served as an opiate to his jagged nerves, otherwise he could not have stayed and listened to the statement Milburgh was preparing to make. Now and again it came back to him, like a twinge of pain, that Odette Ryder was in danger, and he wanted to have done with this business, to bundle Milburgh into a prison cell, and devote the whole of his energies to tracing her. Such a twinge came to him now as he watched the stout figure at the table. "'Before you start,' he said, "'tell me this. What information did you give to Ling Chu which led him to lead you?' I told him about Miss Ryder, said Milburgh, and I advanced a theory, it was only a theory, as to what had happened to her. I see, said Tarling. Now tell your story and tell it quickly, my friend, and try to keep to the truth. Who murdered Thornton Lyne? Milburgh twisted his head slowly towards him and smiled. If you could explain how the body was taken from Odette Ryder's flat, he said slowly, and left in Hyde Park, I could answer you immediately for to this minute I believe that Thornton Lyne was killed by Odette Ryder. Tarling drew a long breath. That is a lie, he said. Mr. Milburgh was in no way put out. Very well, he said. Now perhaps you will be kind enough to listen to my story. End of chapter 34